friendships had me reflecting on what qualities make a friend a real friend over a fake friend. And here's my list. Loyal, trustworthy, honest. Um, we have some things in common. Me, forgives, listens, and is interested in getting to know me and my heart. Um, cares about my heart. It accepts me for all my weirdness, my silliness and flaws, but does not let me get away with being a jerk or being rude. Willing to have hard conversations to help me grow and become a better person, both spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally. So what things would make your list of qualities that would be someone who is your real friend? I had, the, I had this had me thinking, like, who in my circles? So right here is me and my few close friends and my family. And then here in the green, I would say, are my coworkers and some other friends. A few neighbors, not all my neighbors, but just a few that know me well, okay, and we hang out. Then in here, I would say that this is people that are like my book club. I don't really share my heart with my book club. We read books together. We chat. We're even going to travel together. Um, these are maybe some of my friends that I've lost contact with, but we can meet up and still have, have good conversation. And then these people on the outside are maybe people that I bump into. They're maybe friends of my kids, but I don't really know them. We have things in common, or maybe I, I haven't even talked to them. But also in this ring are people that I used to be friends with, who I see on social media. But I don't really share my heart with them. I don't really like tell them the things that I'm struggling with. I might say, who has a pair of basketball shoes for my kid? But, and I, so they're on the outside. And so usually things that we want from a friendship are the things we're willing to give to our friends. And so it had me reflecting on who in these circles would I be willing to have a hard conversation with? These people I don't really talk to. I just watch what happens about their life. But these people, I might be willing to, I am willing to have friction conversations or conversations that might be uncomfortable. So when might friends need to have hard conversations with each other? I can think of times when I've had to speak to a friend about something. I can also think of a time when a friend has spoken to me about something that's hard. And I can also think of a time where I wish I would have talked to a friend about something hard, and I never did. So there's a wide variety of situations that we all face every day with our friendships that might lead us to this. So what do we do when a friend is constantly messing up? How should we react when a friend tells us we're the ones messing up? And in both of these scenarios, what does it look like for us to show real friendship? So I have this friend, and we met in middle school, and she, we've traveled together. We went to Africa and Indonesia, and we're pretty good friends. And she invited me to be in her wedding. Well, she's real extra, okay? She's real extra. She's like, well, we're going to do this, and she's a perfectionist. Okay, so she's like, we need to have the best of this. And I was like, breathing deep. And so I'm getting irritated because all these requests and demands she's putting on us is getting us frustrated. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to say something. 
So I go to her and I'm like, okay, we're frustrated. You are asking too much of us financially. You are asking too much of us physically to be here for all these things. And then I went a little too far. I got a little worked up and I called her the word bridezilla. Okay, at that moment, the conversation didn't go very well, okay? Simadana. And so I, I just went a little too far with my words. I got a little too heated and I shouldn't have used the word and I was unkind. So she hung up on me. At that point, I was like, okay, am I gonna get voted off the wedding party? Yeah. Yeah, no, just kidding. Um, I didn't want to be, but at the same time, I was like, okay, I really messed this up. So a couple days go by and um, she calls me and she says, uh, you were real mean. And I was like, you're totally right, I was mean. She's like, however, she goes, I forgive you. However, I realized something about myself. I realized that I'm a perfectionist, and you're right, that I want all the things just perfect. And so I, she gave me grace. She forgave me. And at the same time, I realized that those things in her were leading her to have a certain behavior, which helped me understand why she was being extra. And so it had me this week, I saw this quote when you finally learn that a person's behavior has more to do with their internal struggle than it ever did with you, you learn grace. She wasn't trying to be rude. She wasn't trying to be demanding. But inside, she had this thing that she was dealing with too. And her details matter to her, and details didn't matter to me. And so I'm dealing with my own thing, and so that helped me to see that sometimes our behaviors have reasons, and that helped me to give her grace. So, tonight, we're going to talk a lot about grace. Sometimes I'm the friend who needs the grace, and sometimes I'm the friend who needs to give the grace. And so, what do you think grace means? Like, literally, shout it out. <laughs> Forgiveness? Forg I heard love? Peace? Kindness? I need two more, oh stop, I need two more things. What'd you say? So for you, grace means fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, okay. What was one more? What did you say? Compassion, I heard a third one, undeserved. So hold on, my question is when should you give grace to a friend? And do you think it's ever okay for grace to run out? You're going to discuss those tonight. The simplest, most simple definition I can give you of grace is giving someone a gift they don't deserve. These gifts in your friendships could look like a second chance. Kindness, patience, forgiveness, love, time. In the Bible, there are 131 times that grace is mentioned. 124 of them are in the New Testament, and 86 of them are used by Paul alone. We are going to talk about Paul tonight. And so I need you to turn to page 917 in your Bible. 
It's Acts 9, 1 through 9. And we're going to dig into what grace means. Can you take that slide down for a second? Because I need to give you a previously on. So find the page 9, what did I say, 9, 17. So previously on, you know, you watch a show and then you're like, I can't remember what happened. I'm going to give you the previously on. So last year we talked about Luke. We go through um, the whole story of Jesus. Born, they're mad at him because they're scared he's too powerful. They put him to death. He raises from the dead. Luke is over. Luke wrote Acts. That's the book we're in tonight. We're in Acts 1. Jesus stands there and says, all you people are going to be my witnesses. And the powerful people are looking going, oh shoot, we put him to dead to death because we didn't want him to get too powerful and now all these people are following him. And so Acts 1, Jesus says, I'm going to send you a helper. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and he leaves. He's out. Sends into heaven. Acts 2 happens and the Holy Spirit comes onto the people that are gathering and they fill the people and they're following Jesus. Acts It says in Acts 6-7, I'm giving you the previously on, just stay where you are in your Bible. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A man named Saul, who's super powerful, he hears that people are, all the numbers are growing, and he's mad. So he puts the first person to death by stoning him, and his name is Stephen. He puts him to death, and he says, we have to stop this. So, Acts 8.3 says, Saul was ravaging the church. He was entering homes. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And you're like, why are you telling me this? Sometimes to understand scripture or anything in life, in the current day, you have to look back. So, I'm telling you what has happened, and now we're going to learn that Saul is a horrible man, and he's, put, he's hurt many people. Acts 9 9, 1 through 19, the conversion of Saul. But Saul, we talked about, you said, Amanda, you're talking about Paul. Paul started as Saul. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus and so that he may found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Interesting. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Saul knows that people are following Jesus. So he's going to the synagogues and saying, anyone following Jesus, bind him up, put him in prison, and bring him to Jerusalem to me. Verse 10. Now, oh, so Saul hears a voice. He, he hears Jesus and he goes blind and he's still blind. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, 
And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Okay, if any, I would have asked the same questions as Ananias. God, are you sure? This guy has killed people. You want me to go? I can relate to that. I would totally ask all the questions. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized. And taking the food, he was strengthened. The justice part of me, and there's that part all the time, you guys, that says, Saul deserved to die. He didn't deserve to live. He didn't deserve, he might have even deserved to be blind the rest of his life. Instead, God gave Saul a mission. He healed him and he made him his leader of of the early church. If you said, Amanda, Saul was unworthy of the grace and forgiveness of God, I would have said, I completely agree with you. But isn't that the point of grace? If we didn't deserve it, if we deserve it, it wouldn't be grace. Grace is a gift we do not deserve. With each and every one of us, Saul included, God went first by showing us grace even when we didn't deserve it. But that's not the end of the story. Like we see with Ananias, God then challenges us to show grace to others in the same way. Did you notice that verse 19 just stops, and I stopped there, but there was more? It says, Saul proclaims Jesus in synagogues. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. He went from going to the synagogue to murder them to going there and proclaiming that he is Jesus, or that he believes in Jesus. The grace Saul was shown impacted his life so that he became God's greatest messenger. Many years later, Saul wrote a letter to a guy he was mentoring named Timothy. And in this letter, he recounted some of the things from this encounter he had with grace. And don't move your Bibles, just look up at the screen, and I'll read it to you. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. I thank him who has given me strength. Paul, now he's Paul, is writing this letter to Timothy. He's thanking Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save, our, save sinners of whom I am the foremost. 
But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe. When Paul experienced God's grace, he didn't just take it as a free pass to go on and do all the continuous mean things that he was doing. He had gratitude and thankfulness, and it changed his life. Paul understood that as a recipient of God's grace, he had a responsibility to share grace with others. In the same way, when we recognize the grace that's been given to us, it becomes so much easier, you guys, to give grace to others, especially when those people are our friends. No friend is perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But when someone's messed up and caused pain, real friends show each other grace. And as you heard on my list of qualities, trust was like one of my top ones. And in friendships, when someone messes up, it breaks the trust. And trust takes a long time to repair. And it's hard to repair it. This weekend, I watched this movie with my kids um, called Rhea and the Last Dragon. And in this story, Namari messes up in a really big way. And she breaks the trust with her friends and her whole, like, unit, um, her village. That's the word I'm looking for. And so towards the end of the movie, Rhea has the opportunity to kill Namari after she's broken this trust for what she did. But instead, she remembers a story from her past, a story about trust, forgiveness, and grace. Let's watch. Simadan. <laughs> to some, Namari seemed hopeless and unforgivable, kind of like Saul. But when Rhea chose to take the first step and extend grace to her friend, it changed the whole thing. This week, I'm going to challenge you to take a step towards grace. Whether you need to give it or receive it or a little bit of both, take one step. And you're going, Amanda, I don't even know what that looks like. What are you talking about? And I'm going to give you three things. Number one, reflect. What I mean by this is how do you fall short in your relationships with your friends? What do you say and think that is unkind, judgmental, or rude? At this point, when I realize and I can look at myself and go, oh my goodness, I am so, I am not a kind person to people, whether not doing something or doing something, I quickly realize that I can go to step two, and I need to go to step two. And net step two is accepting God's grace. Because at that point, I'm transformed and I'm freed by the things that I look at myself and see and hear, and I'm transformed and I'm freed from that weight and those, uh, that ugliness. And so if you've never received the grace of God and felt it, today's a great day to ask him and say, I want to experience your grace. And by receiving God's grace and forgiveness, I am able to get to step three, when I can extend grace, God's grace to others. So you reflect on yourself, and it's real ugly, and then you get to experience the freedom, and then you get to give it away, that grace that you received in two. So what does extending God's grace look like? And it can look a variety of ways. 
It could look like holding a grudge against someone because of something they did. Extend grace by telling them that you forgive them. Do you have a friend that is making bad decisions? And right now, you don't know what to do. Have the uncomfortable conversation with love and grace because grace can look like having a conversation you don't want to have. Extending grace can also look like owning the hurt that you caused to someone else because you are giving forgiveness and grace to yourself because real friends, unfortunately, we have to own our stuff. Friendships are really hard. It's a lot of work. Friendships are not about being perfect. When there's hurt and mistakes and unwise choices, real friends choose to do for each other what God's already done for you. Real friends show each other grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, I thank you. I thank you for the grace that you give us when we so don't deserve it. That you wipe our slates clean, you take off these backpacks of things that we carry around. And Lord, I thank you that you give that to us and that we are able to extend it to the people around us. And Lord, in our friendships, it's hard. It's hard to be in relationship with other people. And so Lord, I pray that you would be working in our lives so we can make a difference in others and in our relationships that we can give grace and love and ultimately show them you. And so, Lord, um, be in our conversations this evening. Show us you in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen.